This program was previously recorded. The following program is a paid presentation. The views and or opinions expressed do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of KWAM. Jim Shoemaker, Scott Jordan, and Drew Johnson are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer, member FNIRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Welcome to the Variety Hour, where local leaders talk Memphis. Listen to you, move your mouth, I bet you come from way down south. Now don't tell me, let me guess, you're from the town that I love best. Talk Memphis, I wish you would. Talk Memphis, you sound so good. Talk Memphis, high on the bluff, I swear I can't get enough. Welcome to Talk Money, and now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. And welcome to Talk Money. As you know, we talk about everything financial. Today's program, the market has had an interesting start this year. If you think about it, with the first quarter, January started much out like 2017, all fun, no pain, but then... Things changed suddenly, and stocks have been all over the place since uh, the beginning of the year. Rusty Leonard is here with us of Stewardship Partners. He's here to help us understand what happened to cause the change in the market behavior and, of course, why so much volatility. In the second half of the program today, Scott Jordan and Drew Johnson are here to answer questions that we have all the time. We get this all the time. Why in the world is this a big question? But we're going to answer it. And that is, it's kind of surprising to some. It's, uh, it makes sense to ask it, but we're going to figure it out. What is a mutual fund? And what are the advantages to the investor when you use mutual funds in your 401k or in your investment portfolio? From our Did You Know Files, BTN Research, a company we use, says that even with all the volatility of the S&P 500 bull market that began in March of 2009 is now in its 110th month. The average bull market for the stock index is, uh, since 1950 has lasted only 62 months. So this one's a healthy bull. And also from BTN, they say that in April, this you know says that April has been the best month for the S&P 500 of the last 25 years. That's from 1993, of course, to 2017. And it's gained an average of 1.81%, just ahead of October's number of 1.80 average gain. And, of course, remember, even with that, past performance is absolutely no indication of future performance. With all the concerns we hear today about tariffs, here's a thought for you. The Commerce Department in a second in a recent uh, report states that total exports of goods and services by the US corporations reached 2.33 trillion in 2017, up 41%. Let me say it again, up 41% from the 1.65 trillion of goods and services exported in 2007. Do you think we're not moving a little bit in the right direction? Our nation's 2.9 trillion of imports in 2017 are still exceeded by our exports by $568 billion. Well, Transamerica Center of Retirement Studies have this information for us, and I think it's kind of good. Out of two, two out of every three Americans, that's 65%, believe even if they continue to work to until, until age 65, they will not accumulate 
enough savings to meet their retirement needs. And that's why you listen to this program to help you move in the right directions. Markets appear to be in a correction phase. And obviously, we've seen more volatility in the market in the recent days. Coming up, Rusty Leonard of Stewardship Partners. The question, what will drive stock market prices going forward? Is it technical factors? Is it politics? Or is it just simple economics? I'm Jim Shoemaker, along with Scott Jordan and, of course, Drew Johnson. Coming up, you're listening to The Voice, KWAM 990, FM 107.9. This is Talk Money. Podcasts of Talk Money are available in the iTunes store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with more Talk Money after this. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon as research or investment advice regarding any funds or stocks in particular, nor should it be construed as a recommendation to purchase or sell a security. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Welcome back. Of course, we're talking with Rusty Leonard. He'll be with us in just a second. But you know, we've been thinking about 11 bull markets since the end of World War II have averaged 5.2 years in length. Now, this one, we're, you know, we're looking at this current bull market has reached nine years in length since ending in March. So here's the question for you. What's happened to cause all the change in the market? We're going to find out. Rusty Leonard's with us. Welcome, Rusty. Thank you for joining us today, man. It's always a pleasure to be with you, Jim. Well, you know, Rusty, here's the question. So many people, we kind of go through this idea. We got, a, you know, nine years in length for this bull market. You know, you got the media. In fact, I read something just the other day that we, we'll have the crash before the end of the year. And, you know, I mean, there has been volatility. You know, as I said earlier in, during the monologue, we talked about the fact that January started off pretty good, but then things changed and changed suddenly. And all of a sudden, we've seen this movement of amounts of volatility that brings us back to years past. So what's happened to cause all the change in the market behavior? And what is going, what is causing this, this jump, you might say, in volatility? Well, uh, you know, I think it was very unusual that we didn't have any volatility in the previous period, some you know, early 2017 through January of 2018. It was kind of ridiculous that the market just never bounced around at all, despite there being all kinds of reasons for it to, you know, in the news for it to do so. So it's really just a return to normality. Um, this is uh, maybe it's a little bit more excessive the, the back and forth and back and forth that we're seeing on almost a daily basis now. One uh, percent moves in the market, but it's it's not all that unusual. It's uh, what we just all probably forgot what stock markets used to be like before uh, 2017 came around. I still have no explanation for why 2017 to the end of January there was so. Uh, so lacking in volatility. But uh, this is really kind of normal. And, of course, what happened was that the trade war in particular uh, kind of heated up. And uh, we don't really even have the trade war yet, but uh, we have a lot of talk about it. And just the talk of it has alarmed the market and caused uh, a lot of this volatility to kick into high gear. You know, you talk about trades and tariffs and all the things going on in this trade war, bottom line. But I guess my question for you, though, if – is this just pure reaction to media as they push this out, or is it real reasons to be just overly concerned about trade tariffs? Well, the, the, the 
uh, tariffs and trade wars is not a good one. Uh, 1929 is the most uh, prominent example of what happened during a trade war. Uh, that was, by many uh, historians' viewpoints, they believe it was the uh, the trade war that was kicked off and really led to the Great Depression. So it always has had in the marketplace a hint of a trade war uh, anywhere along the line with during all the various administrations that have threatened them in the past, uh, has always caused the market to kind of get get a bit antsy. Uh, but they rarely come to pass, and I'm not quite sure it'll come to pass this time, too. Just the other night, the Chinese president uh, made a speech, which was uh, highly anticipated, because we thought he was going to up and, you know, every time Trump said he's going to put higher tariffs on, you know, the Chinese president would come back and say, he's going to put even higher tariffs on and back and forth. Instead, he, he lowered the... Uh, the decibels a lot, and uh, it's not clear yet exactly what he said. But what we do know that he didn't say was that they weren't going to, you know, take the take the argument up a little bit higher. Mm. But at the same time, I'd like to to remind everybody that even though there's been talks of tariffs, and you've seen headlines that said, you know, uh, President Trump is going to put tariffs on 120 different products, and he's are going to, you know, respond by you know, putting tariffs on. Uh, soybeans and other kinds of things here. Uh, none of that actually has happened yet. It's all just threats and talk. And there's plenty of room for negotiation. And I, you know, we all know that Trump, you know, comes out with a lot of bluster as his opening volley in any kind of negotiation, and then he figures out a way to reach a, a better deal. And I suspect that's what you're going to see here. And we already have seen some signs of that. So perhaps that that worry will uh, dissipate maybe uh, sooner rather than later. Well, let's talk about this, because outside of trade issues, which seems to be dominating a lot of that, we don't we hear a little bit about global economy and the U.S. economy. Your take on where we are, I mean, it seems like that we're actually talking about a GDP of over 3%. Uh, is that headed in the right direction? We, or we, do you think yeah. we're headed that way? Yeah, certainly the first quarter is looking pretty good. Uh, so we'll be getting those first quarter GDP reports before too much longer. And uh, they, of course, have to revise them 12 times and whatever. So <laughs> it'll be a while before you get the actual uh, final number. But, you know, the three per- a 3% number may be a little bit high for this quarter. Uh, we started off very, very hot, and it's kind of cooled down. Uh, but nevertheless, the U.S. economy is doing just fine, and the global economy also seems to be doing pretty well. Now, on a very, uh, you know, if you're looking at data that's coming in just recently, we're starting to see some signs that that uh, – global synchronous economic expansion, which was uh, looking so sweet at the beginning of the year, is starting to weaken a little bit. Now, it's weakening from a very high level, so it's still good, but it's not quite as strong. The global economy isn't you know, moving along quite as strong as it was earlier uh, in this year and late in 2017. So there's a little, we've got to keep our eyes on that. Things could uh, could get worse from, you know, if the trend continues, it would uh, move into a place where you might start saying, hey, the uh, global economy is really weakening here. But uh, for the moment, things are going pretty well. Good. If you just tuned in, my guest, Rusty Leonard, CFA, founder and CEO of Stewardship Partners, a frequent guest of Talk Money, and always gives us a great update on the economy. And we're talking through trade tariffs. We're talking through the idea behind what's the economy doing. Rusty, corporate earnings, it, you know, we have a friendly government, a friendly president to the corporation today. There seems to be the tax cuts were helpful. It seems to be taking on some traction there. Uh, corporate earnings, as I said, are, seem to be going to be pretty forecasted to be pretty good. What are you thinking? Was this uh, headed in the right direction for the whole oversight of the of the economy? 
Yeah, for sure that, uh, you know, corporate earnings in the first quarter are probably going to be pretty good. And uh, for some of the reasons you mentioned there, uh, obviously, the, as we mentioned already, the, the economy globally is doing well. And many, you know, the larger U.S. corporations aren't reliant solely on the U.S. economy. They destroyed the global economy. They're operating all throughout the world. So the global economy did pretty well in the first quarter. And so that should help corporate earnings. And then, of course, you have the tax situation, which will help corporate earnings as well, because corporate taxes are being reduced. And so we should have a pretty pleasant uh, next couple of weeks as all those earnings come out day after day after day as companies release them. Uh, it should be an impressive, you know, a group of numbers. And, you know, in the end, earnings of the corporate earnings are the foundation for share prices. If you have strong earnings, you generally have strong share prices. The only thing that can upend that is geopolitical events, which we have a few of those going on uh, that, that might cause concern. They seem pretty mild at the moment. And, and also what we've talked about already, the tariffs and the trade war uh, risk. Those are things that uh, even if corporate earnings were good, if those things got hot, uh, you know, if all of a sudden the trade war took a turn for the, the worse and actually started, we started seeing some of those tariffs being implemented, or if we see you know a war break out in the Middle East on a larger scale than what is typically going on there, uh, then we might we might see the market get rocked by those things. But if it's just if we're just be able to ignore those matters, those other geopolitical matters, they don't come to the fore. The focus will be on earnings, and earnings are going to be pretty good. So I think that uh, after the market's had a choppy couple months here, there's a good chance that we might see a little bit better performance. Rusty, when you measure people and you you think about what investment, you know, looking at it long term, do you measure investment investor sentiment? And it, in your opinion, at this point, I mean, is this volatility kind of uh, maybe brought the investor sentiment down some? Is it, you know, we were at, I, I, want to, I don't want to call it euphoric, but there, you know, you can use that term. There was a tremendous amount of optimism, if you look at 2017, leading through even through January. Has that changed? Do you see the investor sentiment? And what about consumer sentiment? Uh, consumer sentiment is actually doing just, just fine. Uh, because the economy is doing pretty well and tax cuts have come through, so people are feeling pretty good about things. But you're right. Uh, we had, with that long period of uh, just the constantly rising market in 2017 into early 2018, uh, sentiment had gotten very high. People forgot that markets can go down. And so uh, everybody was you know, getting all their money and putting it in the market and because it's never going to hurt them again. That was kind of the uh, – we all have short memories as investors. And unfortunately, that's not the way it works. And once everybody kind of gets in the boat, the boat starts to list and uh, maybe uh, take on some water. And so we saw that happen in February and in March. And even here in early April so far, we're seeing uh, the, the markets be very choppy. And uh, the sentiment has you know, plunged from uh, greed to fear. And so now we're in a very fear uh, mode for most investors. That's usually a good time to be a buyer. Uh, you want to sentiment, investor sentiment is a very interesting uh dynamic that we pay close attention to when it reaches an extreme. Uh, generally, uh, when it's not at an extreme, you can ignore it. But when it's hot, when investors are very greedy and it shows up in those sentiment indexes, you should be very cautious. And when investors are very fearful, then you really want to get more aggressive. Right now, investors are very fearful and uh, because the market has disappointed them, and it's probably a better time to be thinking about buying than selling. Mm. Okay, that's a, you know I guess the thought process we haven't we you know when you think about that you go through this idea and a lot of our listeners are paying attention to what you're saying as far as that it's sentiment they they sense that but now let me throw a little extra into the to the mix you got a new Fed chairman and his attitude so far is he's somewhat bullish at least that's what their media is saying the press is saying bullish on interest rates is he going to raise interest rates this year? 
Absolutely. Uh, there's no question about it. Uh, today and yesterday, we had uh, some inflation statistics come out. The producer price index was above expectations. And even though the headline number this morning on consumer prices was that it was below expectations, if you look deep in, deeper into those numbers of what the Fed really looks at, which is the core CPI, they came in up 0.2%, which is the, a high reading and the highest uh, year-over-year change that we've had in a while as well. So, and above the target, the 2.1% change over the last year in CPI is a little bit higher than the Fed's 2% target. So, with the economy growing pretty nicely, with interest or inflation starting to poke its head up a little bit, you can be sure that the Fed is going to be continuing to increase its uh increase the short-term interest rates as we go through this year. The big question for the market right now is will he do it more aggressively than they've already said they would. So we're looking for three additional hikes in interest rates this year. And uh, if it ends up being four, then that would probably uh, cause the market a little to be a little concerned for a bit. It would have to digest that, and uh, it would eventually digest it. But that's certainly one of the risks to the market from a fundamental uh, standpoint is that the Federal Reserve gets much more aggressive on the interest rate front. Well, you know and when you talk, do, yeah, we got trouble. Yeah, well, then when we talk about that, the reality being that if we if we go back in historical times, and you remember, well, let's just start with Volcker, then Greenspan, and his long period of time, he seemed to go through that mindset of being aggressive. Uh, right. and that's kind of that quarterly, you know, that every quarter or every month in some cases, we saw a quarterly yeah. bump. All right, with that in mind, you hear this rumbling in the distance, you know, like they're way out there on the horizon. A recession is coming. Uh, and if he does this beginning to move interest rates, or this is this going to call stocks to really get in kind of in a uh, out of kilter? And you're talking about the whole economy. You know, you don't raise rates unless the economy's doing something. And that's that's the, right. And so is the rest. Yeah, of, no, you're. Go ahead. You're right. Okay, you're right. Uh, so raising rates raises the risk of a of a recession because the Fed in the past has made many mistakes. They're just human like us, and so sometimes they raise rates too quickly. Uh, hurt the economy, send it into a recession, and then they have to kind of rebuild things after that. So that's why that's why professional investors get antsy when the Fed is in a interest rate rate rising mode. Uh, particularly with inflation, even though it's a little bit above the target right now, it's hardly a big problem, and we don't really want to see the Fed get too aggressive. And when you have a new Fed chairman, you know they want to go down in history as being one of the better Fed chairman ever. And the way you do that typically is by making sure inflation never. Uh, it becomes an issue that you have to you know, put back in the, uh, the – you don't want that inflation gene to get out of the jar because getting it back in is hard, and you don't want that to be your, your long-term reputation as a Fed chairman. So there's a risk that the Fed chair, a new Fed chairman will jump in there and, and fight inflation harder than he needs to and cause the economy to go into a recession. Uh, you know, we've got to keep an eye on that risk, uh, definite real risk. And, you know, as you pointed out at the very beginning of the show, this bull market's gone on forever, and that's because we haven't had a recession in forever. And so it's a very long-in-the-tooth uh, economic expansion. So that alone should have us, you know, watching to make sure that we don't dip into a recession anytime soon. So we're keeping our eyes on that. We don't see it just yet. Speaking of the bull market, nine years in length. That's, uh, that is just uh, since March of 2009. 
and we're now moving forward with that. Now, I guess my question that when you when you put all this together, and if you just tuned in, we have Rusty Leonard, CFA founder and CEO of Stewardship Partners Investment Council, Incorporated. He is a frequent guest of ours. Does a great job of helping us put to, in the perspective of what's going on in the economy and what's going on in the market. So we've seen some volatility. He's helped us understand that volatility is not always bad. It's more normal. He's talked about the economy. He's talked about trade tariffs. Be sure to listen to him again. You can go to the podcast and do that. My last question, first quarter, 2018, you know, not the best quarter we've ever had. And it seemed like sometimes that's what happens. January turned out, but February and March, not so good. How do you think you're going to see the markets behave for the remainder of 2018? And will we go back to calmer days like we saw in 2017? What are your thoughts? I think uh, what we've seen here in the last couple months is more likely what we're, we're going to see more of that. We're going to see more volatility, and it won't be calmer like it was. The uh, 2017, early 2018, that was a complete aberration, very strange. Never saw really anything like that in my long career where it was so calm for so long. And uh, there's plenty of things to keep the market riled between now and the end of the year. But my guess is that with the strong foundation of earnings and the likelihood that a recession is not in the offing, that the the Fed will probably manage things fairly effectively and won't drive us into recession, I think by the time we get to the end of the year, you might be sweating a little bit, but you'll probably have higher share prices rather than lower. So steady as you go? Well, you just stay calm. Everybody else may may be... uh, freaking out around you as the market goes up and down, up and down on a daily basis. But yeah, if you can stay steady as you go, you should be just fine. Well, we always stay here on the market. Never look at past performance to give you any indication of future performance. And we also say that if you're investing, we prefer for you to invest for the long haul. Rusty Leonard, founder and CEO of Stewardship Partners Investment Council. Thank you, Rusty. Appreciate you, man. Thank you. Have a great day. And you as well. Thank you. Yes, sir. Coming up next, we've got Drew Johnson, Scott Jordan of Shoemaker Financial. What are mutual funds? And if you're an investor, you know, you need to know the full understanding, the description. What is a mutual fund and why do you use it? What is the advantage of your portfolio invested in mutual funds? Coming up, Drew Johnson and Scott Jordan. We'll be right back. This is Talk Money. sure to like us on Facebook. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. Investments in commodities and natural resources involve heightened risk due to leveraging and speculative investment practices, lack of periodic valuation requirements, and potentially complex tax structures. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. And welcome back. To find today's program on podcast or other past programs, go to iTunes and search for Shoemaker Financial. You might want to listen to Rusty one more time as he talks about what happens with the economy. His update on the economy is always extremely important. But this next segment of the program, this is a question that we have been getting over and over and over for people that we thought, well, this was kind of an understanding thought. You know, you don't really need to have a great explanation, but... 
That's not always the case. And because of your responses as a faithful listener to ours, and you simply literally go to talk money at shoemakerfinancial.com if you've got a question, and that's what you've done. What are mutual funds? And, you know, it, you would think everybody knows, but I have two experts today. They're going to kind of walk us through and help us understand what are mutual funds and their advantages to you, the investor. Welcome to the program, Scott. Good to be here, Jim. Andrew Johnson. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, guys, this is a subject that it's amazing when you think about it. For most investors, mutual funds represent the best way to assemble a well-balanced, a diversified a portfolio of securities and understanding that it's not the safe bucket. It's not perfect, but a mutual fund does give them all this uh, idea behind selection of different securities, a diversified portfolio, a balanced portfolio, they can do all of that with a mutual fund. But help me understand just what is, Scott, a mutual fund? Yeah, Jim. So a mutual fund, you know, they're organized as an investment company. And what a mutual fund does is it it takes a lot of money in from a lot of individual investors. So they collect a big pool or a big pile of money, and then they're professionally managed by an expert, and they invest according to specific guidelines. So essentially, it allows you know any size investor to buy into a large multi-million dollar pool of assets. And now, Jim, they can be they can own a lot of different assets. Like I said, the manager will invest according to specific guidelines, but they may be a a stock fund manager that buys stocks, or or a bond mutual fund that buys government bonds, corporate bonds, municipal bonds. They can buy mortgages, commercial papers. So just about any asset imaginable can be bought through this investment company organization of a mutual fund. So essentially, it allows, like I said, that small investor to buy into a share of that big pool of assets. They know what they're buying into, and then they're able to gain that diversification of of having bought into that big pool of money. When you talk about this big pool of money, and I like the fact that you're talking about it's that that normal investor like you and me, and like like our listening audience, right? That normally would not be able to buy some huge stock or something. They couldn't really buy into it enough, you right? Know? Right. So couldn't they're able enough. to have the money manager make the investment, and what you're doing is allowing the normal investor to to really invest like the big wealthy guy. Exactly, exactly. And that's something that is so important, especially when you look at a person's 401k plan or their private savings for college education, or maybe they're saving additional money for retirement. This is a way for them to participate in the market with understanding that they're not having to go out and try to buy a stock that's costing $200 a share. Costing $200 to do all that research on their own, try to figure out which stocks to buy. You know, you have a professional manager, and most people... Jim, like you mentioned, own mutual funds, whether they know it or not. Maybe it's through their 401k at work, but most people own mutual funds in one way or another. True, and he mentioned pool of managed funds. Help me get into the weeds a little bit about what a pool is managed and, and when you talk about that. Well, you're talking about a lot of small investors, each taking their own pile of money and, and combining their resources to make it into one big pile that a professional manager at a mutual fund company can go and then invest according to what that company's mandate is, whether it's investing in large American companies or small foreign companies or government bonds or what have you. 
it takes each of those investors' small piles, puts it into one big pile, and they're able to go out as one big investor and, and invest proportionately to what they've contributed to the fund. So now, when they're doing that, does this allow them, when you when you go through that, to just do anything they want to? Or is there some ground rules that says, you don't do this? Or I mean, does every mutual fund just buy whatever they want to buy? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Uh, mutual funds are have to be issued with a perspective, a prospectus. Uh, there are rules about what a manager can and cannot do with uh, with a uh, with an investor's funds. There are also rules about how he can and cannot do it. What specific trading strategies they may or may not use. It's all very specific and disclosed to the investors. All right. So we're talking about, does that mean, Scott, that, that somebody should, there is a prospectus. Drew mentioned this prospectus. Um, I know we're required to give everybody a prospectus. Right. Uh, you know, I don't want to say nobody reads it, but, <laughs> but they should. They, they should, should absolutely read it. Read it. So when uh, they're reading a prospectus, that's that intel, detail, minutia of the what's really going on. There are some ground rules that this investment manager has to live by. He can't go just buy anything. That's really the, the telling them what the rules are. Should they read it and should they try to do their best to understand it, get somebody to explain it to them? I think they should, and that's where working with a professional can help. There's a lot of information in a prospectus, and of course it's written in a lot of legal legal language to meet all the requirements that are put on the funds by the SEC. So some of it can be a little hard to decipher if you don't know what you're looking for, but every piece of information that is important to an investor is going to be included in that prospectus as far as, like, like Drew said, how the fund is going to invest. What is their mandate? What are their restrictions? You know, how much can they have in foreign stocks versus domestic? All those kinds of things, as well as cost, where the money's custodied, all those things are included in that prospectus. And that's where, you know, if if it's something that it's hard for an individual on their own to decipher or grasp, that's where working with a professional can help. But yes, everything's in there, and I think they should read it. Now, we we joke and say it's good sleeping material and, and all that kind it of stuff. Legal. But there's it's a, a there's a, a legal lot, of, lot of good info. It's a legal in document, and it is difficult. If you just tuned in, Scott Jordan and Drew Johnson are here with me, and we're talking about what are mutual funds and what are the advantages. We talked about that most investors. Mutual funds are, represent that best way to assemble a well-balanced, diversified portfolio, one that you can put together with some help or by yourself, whatever you feel comfortable with, and know that you are, to some degree, diversified. Now, let me say this about diversification. Diversification is a buzzword that we talk about all the time. It's a word that literally says you're diverse. If you buy one stock, you are not diversified. If you buy a mutual fund, it may have 10, 15 20, 150 different stocks in it. That's expanding your your diversification. And literally, don't think that just because you are in a mutual fund and more diversified does not always make to tell you, we do not want to let you think that you are now at that point, less risk is involved. Diversification does help risk but it doesn't take risk completely away from your portfolio. I know that's a that's an issue that we need to make sure we've talked about and make sure that we're, you know, communicating to everybody. We're going to take a break and come uh, coming up in a few minutes, but just a second here. I want to make sure that everybody understands when we come back, we're talking about mutual funds can make your investing easier and to some degree, I want you to make sure you understand, safer. 
So we're going to go through some advantages of mutual fund ownership, and we're going to let these guys just walk us through one after another. You do not want to miss that part. We're going to talk about the advantages of mutual fund ownership. But coming up right now, and it always is a very much a favorite part of all of the listeners. They tell us they love it. It is Mid-South History Moment. It's written by our own Drew Johnson, but it's going to be read by Rebecca Brazier. Stay with us. We'll be right back. This is Talk Money. If you have questions you'd like to have answered on the program, email them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. When Nazi Germany achieved a surprise victory over France in 1940, an alarmed President Roosevelt immediately began expanding national defense industries at a breathtaking rate, which greatly altered the face of the Mid-South. Within a year, two major defense industries were operating in Shelby County. Memphis became the U.S. 2nd Army Headquarters, where training for the half-million soldiers stationed in Tennessee was conducted. The nation's only inland naval base was established in Millington. Workers were hired wherever they could be found, and local factories were retooled for wartime production. During the war, the Ford plant was used to make airplane engines, Quaker Oats manufactured synthetic rubber, and Firestone produced rubber life rafts. Of the 40,000 men and women from Shelby County who served in our armed forces during World War II, 662 were either killed or missing in action. Among those who served, African Americans from the Mid-South fought with exceptional bravery and honor and contributed in countless ways to the defeat of Germany and Japan. One African American from Memphis who served with distinction was Captain Luke Weathers, who flew with the famed Tuskegee Airmen and shot down seven enemy planes. Weathers once said of Memphis before he died that this is a city that has its feet in the Mississippi, its souls in the churches, and its minds up in the blue sky with God. This has been another Mid-South History Moment brought to you by Shoemaker Financial. Neither Security and Financial Services, Inc. nor Shoemaker Financial are affiliated with Rusty Leonard or Stewardship Partners Investment Council, Inc. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. And welcome back. We're listening to Drew Johnson and Scott Jordan. We're talking about what are mutual funds and are there advantages to them? Well, we're going to go through some very specific advantages at mutual fund ownership and why that's important for you to understand them and know that you're talking about that mutual funds help you as you build your investment portfolio. Questions that we get, and here's a question that uh, Jessica Stevens just asked us, and she's running the board and doing the production of the program today instead of Greg, and of course she just dresses up the studio so much today, we appreciate her doing that. But during the break, she asked this question. This is a question that I think is so critical because so many people literally fall into this trap thinking, well, if I'm in my 401k or my 403b, I'm invested in mutual funds. And that's usually the case in a lot of cases. And then they wonder, well, can I go out and do something outside of just doing a mutual fund portfolio in my 401k? But let's suppose I'm saving for a college education fund. Maybe I'm saving to buy that first house or a car or something. Should I use mutual funds for that? Is that kind of the thought process? Is that something that could fit? Well, here's the 
the thought. I think, Scott, I want you to help us with this question, but I think a lot of people look at mutual funds always being focused on just retirement. And there are ways to structure a portfolio using mutual funds that helps you to invest for that zero to two year window that's short term or that three to eight year midterm type of, you know, my investment portfolio, I need the money in three to eight years or the long term, which is most cases the retirement longer than eight years. So help us understand what do we do with that type of portfolio? Jessica's that's got a great a, question. That's an excellent question and a great point. You know, Jim, whatever we're we're doing with mutual funds or any other investment vehicle or product, it's always for a purpose. In other words, we're trying to help a client achieve a specific goal. So maybe that goal is not retirement, but they're saving for something shorter term. They're wanting to buy a house or a vacation home, whatever the goal may be. But you can, you know, going back to what I said, mutual funds are made up of a lot of different types of investments. So we could tailor make a portfolio of mutual funds that is specific to that shorter time horizon. Maybe it's made up of shorter term bonds or money market instruments. So yes, there are mutual funds that can be tailored specific to specific goals. And we do that all the time. But that's so important because I think so many people forget that when you're designing a portfolio, it's not designing something off the shelf. Right. It is talking to the individual. It's specific and for a specific goal. You know, the the goal is not to, hey, let's let's make the most money we can or let's beat a specific index. We're always investing with a specific goal in mind and a target, and we're we're tailoring that portfolio of funds or whatever vehicle to meet that specific goal. Well, then I guess that's where I want to move into this thought process because we're talking about individual investing. We're talking about mutual funds. What are mutual funds and what are their advantages? So let's start with you, Drew. Drew, what's that first I guess, advantage that you would say that a person can expect from investing with mutual funds? Well, probably the most important thing to start off with is that it allows that small investor, like we talked about earlier, to achieve the kind of diversification that you would normally be able to get only if you were very, very wealthy, if you were trying to do it, going out and doing the research and buying the stocks or buying the bonds all on your own. It allows you to get that with a small amount of money and that can help to reduce the risk. I didn't say eliminate risk, but it can help to reduce risk. If you've got, if you've got, say, stock A that has a very high volatility historically, and you've got stock B that has a very low one, and the fund owns both, it's gonna those two stocks, it's gonna tend probably toward the middle between those two in terms of how volatile it's going to be over the time that you own it. You know, you mentioned, you said you said that I was thinking cross correlation, and Scott, when you talk about cross correlation, as Drew just very eloquently describe, so many people forget that when you're putting together this portfolio, if you're buying mutual funds, you are literally structuring something that does cross-correlate. Absolutely. And that means you're putting together specific investments or or stocks or whatever that kind of move in different directions with each other. So that's part of what that diversification brings to the table in helping to reduce risk. Again, as Drew said, we're not saying eliminate or do away with risk, but having that cross-correlation in the portfolio, those are those are tools that we use to minimize the risk in the portfolio. Okay. Again, though, now explaining this, this doesn't eliminate, as you said it, yes. it does not eliminate risk. It minimizes risk. It, it doesn't eliminate risk. And, and quite frankly, diversification doesn't offer the potential for the greatest returns. That's not the purpose of it. The purpose is to spread your assets across different investments in order to minimize the risk that there's there's one investment that's in the pool that goes bad. And so with having a smaller ownership of that, 
it doesn't affect the overall investment plan as well, much. When we're talking about diversification and cross-correlation, what those are big words, but all that all that it means really is that we're not putting all of our eggs in one basket. I get and that. Well said, go, Drew. Going from going from go, doing your own research and buying your own stocks or your own bonds to owning them uh, passively through a mutual fund is saying I'm going to buy. I want to buy all the same eggs. I just want a cheaper basket. That's a good point. Okay, now let me take that then. Here's that thought process, Drew. You and I and Scott, we're in this all the time. Uh, Think about the listener who wants to do this. You know, go back to Stephanie, wants to do this, but the reality is she's got a full-time job. She's doing something else. We do this every day. What about that person who says, I really do want to put my money to work. I want to be a good steward, but I don't have the time to do all this. What does mutual fund, what's the advantage there for a mutual fund? Well, the advantage to a mutual fund there is you're getting that professional management, right? You have somebody who has been picked because of their expertise in a particular area, their experience in, in a particular area, and they're out there doing that research for you on the specific companies or the bonds being issued by a specific company. They're doing that research necessary to know you know, hey, is this a good investment? Is this a bad investment? So they're saving you time on that front. Uh, of course, you do still need to do your investigation on the investment manager and make sure you're picking a good choice there. But you get that professional mes- management, that expertise. And, you know, Rusty Leonard mentioned when he was talking about sentiment and how we've kind of shifted from this this greed to, to fear. And I think having that professional management also helps manage that. So you've got somebody who has the experience to stay the course with their investments that they pick when the market might move against them. Um, so that professional management brings all that to the table, that that research, that that discipline, that, that experience to allow your average investor to participate in the market in a way that that is is less tied to emotions and more to the fundamentals of what good investments are. If you just tuned in, my guest, Drew Johnson, Scott George, Scott Jordan, Drew Johnson and Scott Jordan. There you go. I got it. We're talking about water mutual funds and uh, how what are their advantages. When we come back, we're going to find out, is past performance really that important? Everybody looks at it. You're listening to Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Podcasts for Talk Money are available for iOS mobile devices in the iTunes Store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. The views and opinions expressed are those of Rusty Leonard only and have not been presented on behalf of or endorsed by Securian Financial Services, Inc. or Shoemaker Financial. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. All right, you're listening to Talk Money. What are mutual funds and what are the advantages? And I've got Drew Johnson and Scott Jordan. We're walking through those advantages for you right now. And we've covered everything from understanding that it gives you diversification. It gives you, it allows you to manage some of the volatility. It makes it more predictable. You can buy individual stocks. You don't have to go out and buy just one. That's the big thing about it. It provides you professional expertise, a full-time manager that stays on it and focuses is on it. You don't have to get up every morning wondering what it's doing. And I, now I want to ask, and Drew, I'm asking you this question is, 
I know people have a tendency to to read in Money Magazine or Kiplinger or all this all this noise about well this particular fund did great last year. What's your opinion? Is it an advantage to buy the the fund that was so great last year? What what's your thought when you say okay here's the the Wall Street Journal said X Y Z was the best ever last year. Yeah, I mean, not necessarily. I mean, as we say a lot in our industry, the past performance of a fund is not an indication necessarily of what it's going to do in the future. And when we're, talk- when we're talking about a fund having returned well over a certain period, what that means is that it's more expensive at the end of that period than it was at the beginning. It's more expensive to buy it. Normally, you don't buy things as they're getting more expensive. You buy them as they're getting cheaper. The question is, why did it get more expensive And that's where the fund manager comes in and their research matters. That's where talking to your advisor matters, helping you to make those decisions so that you can achieve your goals. If you buy in after a long period where it's done well, you may end up buying in at at the top and setting yourself up for a drop when you didn't mean to. You know, that's a great thought because, I mean, so many times people do that. And earlier we were talking about a question that Jessica had asked us, and the reality is so many times we think about I don't always want to just invest in my 401k. I'm saving for something. So just got, just walk me through kind of the advantage of the ability to set up an investment mindset of a dollar cost averaging where you're kind of doing this on a systematic approach. Help me understand dollar cost averaging and why that's important and why you can buy mutual funds. It's hard to buy stocks doing dollar cost averaging, but you can buy a mutual fund. Well, dollar cost averaging, just to kind of break that down in simple terms, is just investing money at regular intervals, right? You know, I'm going to invest $100 a month in a fund or $1,000 a month in a fund, whatever the number is. And most mutual fund companies allow you to most do Most of a them allow that, and, and most of them you can set that up automatically to come straight out of your bank account. And you're, you're basically getting the advantage, uh, especially during times like now where you have market volatility, you're buying shares at different time periods, so you may buy some as as the fund drops a little bit. So overall, it can lead to, now not guaranteed to lead to, but it can lead to a lower overall share price if you're getting volatility in the market. So someone who is trying to save for college education, trying to save for a new car, and they want to invest in something, they choose a fund. They're not looking at past performance. They, it's important to know past performance, but that cannot always be the indicator to buy. You buy a fund group which allows you to do some dollar cost averaging, and you just do it to set it up, as you said, automatically, and then kind of forget about it. I don't want to say forget about it. They need to pay attention, but just kind of let it happen. Right, right. Just just if you, you do your research on the front end and establish a good investment strategy, set it up and let it go, to let it do its thing. You know, I think it was Peter Lynch who said your, your success is greatly going to depend on your ability to ignore the day-to-day noise and stay focused on your investment plan and allow your investments time to, to work. Interest in dividends, that's reinvested? That is another huge advantage of mutual funds. So it's easy to set up automatic reinvestments of dividends in mutual funds. Uh, That can be a little more difficult with stocks, especially if you're getting smaller dividends that are not enough to buy a whole share of that particular stock. Dividends will allow you to reinvest any amount back in, you know, you're getting your quarterly dividends, annual capital gains. You can reinvest those back into the fund, and that's usually set up automatically from the beginning. So, And that can lead to good performance over time because, again, that's giving you kind of that dollar-cost averaging mindset advantage of I'm just going to reinvest 
automatically those funds back into the the fund each time they're distributed. It's a huge convenience versus having to go out and buy the stocks yourself and then re- try and reinvest the dividends Absolutely. yourself. Absolutely. When you talk about convenience, Drew, t- tell me some. I mean, there's a lot of thoughts that people put into this mindset of buying mutual funds. What are some of the other conveniences? Well, you can withdraw your money systematically. You can even have checking set up on a mutual fund account. You can write checks to it. You can even have it set up where if you need money very quickly and you need to take a withdrawal, you you can actually have a, a, a direct deposit set up on a mutual fund account and have a withdrawal go straight to your bank account. It's very easy to do. So when you talk about this, guys, we're talking about convenience. We're talking about the attitude of not having to be a sophisticated investor. Uh, give me a negative to mutual funds. It got to be something that says this is a negative. What if, we talked about all the advantages? Maybe, maybe we didn't think about what are the negatives. Is there a negative to buying a mutual fund? I don't know that it's a negative. It's just a, a flip side of the uh, of having a professional manager manage the money for you. Is they're the ones that are making the decisions for what specifically is being invested. And now they have an overall mandate they have to stick to. But as far as what specifically they're buying and selling, they're the ones that are making that decision for you. So the decision making process is taken out of your hands. That can be. I can understand some people might like to do that. Then, but you do have to do some research. So we're saying that. You know, get a professional to help you with the research. There is some cost, though, to this. There is a cost. I mean, portfolio managers, as they're called, do charge a fee for their services. So they're out there doing the research, doing all their stock analysis. They usually have a team of people working with them. These are sophisticated organizations. And there is a a cost to investing in a mutual fund. So in other words, you're paying that manager for their expertise. So you know, and rather than having to do it yourself, you're you're paying somebody else to do it. But so, that is a is a cost. So you make that decision. You do find out what the cost is. Sure, all that would be revealed in the prospectus, as we mentioned before. Is there anything? Few seconds left, just to say, here's the thing about it. You could put it in an IRA. You could you know do that. Put it inside of an IRA, inside of your 401k. As we mentioned, many people own the funds inside of their 401k. Um, Professional money management. I think that's the huge advantage of of being in the mutual funds. Well, if you just tuned in, of course, this is the closing part of the program. You've been listening to Drew Johnson and Scott Jordan. What are mutual funds and what are their advantages? If you want to listen to this program, feel free to. All you have to do is to find a program, go to the podcast, go to iTunes, type in Shoemaker Financial. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Money is produced by Greg Ratliff. Guest and content coordination, Francis Fortner. Production assistant, Eleanor Moskovitz. Compliance officer, Tommy Armstrong. Mid-South History Moment, Rebecca Brazier and Drew Johnson. We'll see you next week on Talk Money. Jim Shoemaker, Scott Jordan, and Drew Johnson are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Security and Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer, member FNIRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated.